This is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the A, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! <laughs> uh, as always, um, the A is sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. And as always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring the A. And we should also be sponsored by Candle Dry because I drink this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> We'll talk to them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have a fantastic guest. Uh, he is a, I want to call you a veteran actor. You've uh, worked with Playground for many, I think for, for a while, I want to say many years, uh, but you are a actor. You are a illustration uh, person, uh, a cartoonist. Um, well, cool. I, I We're going to get artist. to see them? Exactly. Patrick Jones. Patrick, how are you doing, man? Hi, everybody. I'm doing really well, Reg. Uh, hanging out on a Saturday. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to jump out of my thing, and I'm going to show everyone. Sweet, there it is. Oh, and yeah. That's a, that's actually a stage. What what stage? Um, this is um, Aladdin. Is that well, Aladdin? it's a it's a it's actually a John Tracy play. So this is a set design I did. I used to while I was uh, working as an actor almost full time. I I. Um, subsidized my career by working part-time at a high school in Marin County, Redwood High School. They mm -hmm. brought me on as a guest teaching artist. Uh, a few other actors have worked there. I think, I don't know if you know Elena Wright, but yep. she works there part-time as well. Um, she and I kind of worked at the same time there for about eight years. So this is a set that I designed for a John Tracy play called Planet Z. Um, and the, I will say that the rocket ship, though, is not mine. I borrowed that, <laughs> but I did the rest of it. Yeah. And I think the only thing that I can really say about it is a really wacky play. And, and I think the uh, Aladdin on this Planet Z were like d the detritus of sets of Aladdin productions. So that's why you see the, the genie kind of crashed. Mm -hmm. next to the uh the Enter enterprise starship yeah no so. that's beautiful and i'm going to share share some other uh, of your work that's a beautiful piece of work i would oh, i would man. buy that as artwork and then we have this teddy <laughs> teddy <laughs> we have this really really beautiful and uh, we've got that right there freddie oh, yeah, mercury freddie mercury yeah. yeah so that is that and I'm, let me jump back into our uh thing here we go is that an actual did freddie mercury actually sign Oh, no, I just, I copied his signature. I wanted gotcha. it to look a little like uh, that Uncle Sam poster. Yeah, no, it does. It's very cool. Like yeah, on that. no, that's fantastic. And uh, we're always interested in what actors do when they're not acting. And so, you know, mm -hmm. this is uh, one of the things that you do. But uh, how's everyone doing? Uh, Norman, as I begin every podcast, how's your week? I, I can't even remember this week. Oh, wait, we got a new president. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think really that was that and um, and a little bit of teenage drama, mm -hmm. which but seemed to, you know. So I, I'm a step parent, and I didn't like start with a seed and watch it grow. I, I came into something that was in process, and I'm trying to make sense of it. Also, I think when you start with a child and you raise them, there's there's dynamics that develop that I am not privy to. <laughs> So a lot of it is me going, well, wait a minute. Why is that going on? Um, and the best thing that I've found, the most helpful perspective I've found on it is to remember when I was that age, 
What did I do? What were the rules for me? What did I like and what didn't I like? So at this point he is, and it's so funny, we are now in a different era than when I was young. He smokes marijuana, though it's no longer illegal. <laughs> so when he smoked too much marijuana and ended up in the hospital. Oh no, oh no. Um, there was no worry about saying, oh, we can't tell them because, you know, it's like no big deal. You tell it and the doctors shrug. And they say, well, let's check your blood pressure. And, you know, it was, it was interesting. So, yeah, that's, that's colored my week more than anything. Yeah, and you had a wonderful anniversary, your fifth anniversary. That you, um, that's why you weren't uh, – that's how you spent your uh, last weekend. Yeah, Saturday. Uh, Sunday was our anniversary. So sa Saturday night we went to the Claremont, which is where we spent our first – our wedding night. Oh, nice. I love that place. Uh, it was, it was, I've always been fascinated with it from the outside. Inside, it basically just looks like a hotel. Yeah. <laughs> but, I like um, but I, you know, I, I had other plans and COVID canceled those plans. About a month or so ago, I got a call saying, we're canceling your reservations. I'm like, oh, oh. okay. So I'm glad the Claremont was available. Um, being able to go there and set it up. We had been given that as a wedding present, and we were in a deluxe suite, deluxe Bayview suite. So as I'm trying to set this up, the guys were talking prices, and I said, well, last time we were in this, we were, I didn't know what it was. I just said, last time, I wonder if that was available. And he tells me it's the deluxe Bayview suite, and it's almost twice as much money as I'm about to spend. And I'm like, ah, Okay, we're not going to do that. Well, when we get there, because I said it was my anniversary, they had upgraded us to the Deluxe Bayview Suite. Awesome. Ooh, now, yeah. that, was, that was a wedding gift all by itself. That was, that was wonderful. So, yeah, no, it's, it's weird to think five years, it feels longer than that, and yet it doesn't feel like it's been anything. Patrick, how long have you been married? Uh, five and a half, actually. Ooh. So, in there, in our, we're in our sixth year, and we're very happy. Right on. That's fantastic. Yeah. Both of you. Both of you almost got married around the same time. Yeah. It's cool. Um, there have been a couple of uh, current events. Obviously, you know, we have a new president and, uh, you know, that feels good. It, I've been fascinated. So Anthony Fauci, okay, so he gave his um, a press conference briefing thing in the Biden era. And boy, he was smiling from ear to ear. Right. And of course, you know, the I mean, the it's still stark i mean you know the COVID is still i think we've had like four hundred thousand deaths in america and the vaccine rollout is getting slow and there's a bit of misinformation but what i found fascinating so there was an article about dr blix remember the woman who uh yeah was, yeah so you know she you know she had an article where she was saying well listen i wanted to leave i wanted to leave the trump administration i wanted to speak out and it it poses a question when do you stay i mean you're in a toxic relationship whether it be uh, a you know relationship with your wife or husband, or a relationship with your boss, you know a toxic environment, you can either stay and try to fix the situation, or you can leave and say, "Listen, I don't I don't want to be a part of this." And obviously, Fauci, no one is pointing the finger saying, "Hey, you know you were enabler of Trump," but that's being tainted on Dr. Blix. So, do we have any thoughts on that at all? Well, yes. I think. 
Fauci towed the line really well. I mean, I think he, and he also like leaned heavily on science. I would say that even though he kind of took a lot of blows, he kind of held held the ground, held his ground very nicely um, and didn't seem, somehow managed to put himself in a situation where he didn't ruffle that administration's feathers and still kept uh, like a science forward perspective, which I thought was pretty remarkable. Blix, I don't know that much about, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I, I think she tried. I don't think she navigated it as well as he did. And, you know, like she she ended up sort of playing yes man to uh, to Trump more than than uh, Fauci did. Fauci, if Fauci found something to agree on, it was because it was factual. But when you talk about things like injecting chlorine or, <laughs> you know, that kind of crap, um, he would just he would demure. He was like, no, nah, I, I don't have anything to say yeah. about that. Yeah. Man, I imagine. Well, there were all these press conferences where, <laughs> no, where he's like, he's like biting his tongue. You can like see the, like one after another where Trump is going on and on and on. And Fauci's like right. in the corner. You can see him. The, like the one where like, he face like, pop, where he just like sits holding. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then Fauci, to his credit, would go on other sites like CNN and other news media to try to mm -hmm. listen let me tell you what the science is and let me tell you how I feel about it. And that's when Trump's starting to dump on Fauci. But to his credit, I mean, I was looking at, um, there's a news anchor, Shepard Smith, who is a, a former Fox uh, host. He's now on CNBC. And he did an interview on CNN basically saying, well, you know, how do you feel? You know, you were the one who gave the truth to, um, to the news instead of, you know, just towing the line for Trump. But also you stayed with Fox for a long time and Shepard sort of had to defend himself saying, listen, I wanted to stay to give, a, you know, a counterbalance to what's going on. And, you know, I am fascinated by the question of, you know, how long do you stay in a toxic environment and try to change it? Um, or when do you say, listen, I really just need to go. So uh, that's, well, that's what we're going to see now. We're going to see how and I got to say, we're going to see how petty we can get. Because on the one hand, you can't just let all of that go without some, you know, some consequence. But we just can't, you know, every little person. On the other hand, I think their resumes should all have an asterisk saying, you were on the Trump train. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. And, you know, a lot of those folks are having issues getting uh, new jobs, especially if they stayed on for the last minute. Um, yeah. Representative Andy Harris, have you guys heard about him? This is a representative. He's a guy from Maryland. Um, he tried to bring a gun into the Capitol. He's a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, she just went ballistic. She was like, listen, he needs to be thrown out of Congress. And the last, um, on the 6th of January, when the insurrection happened, he nearly got into a fight with, I want to say, what's the guy's name? Colin Allred. Colin Allred is a former linebacker. He oh, right, right, right. Oh man, I wanted that fight so bad. When I saw <laughs> what he looked like, I was like, "Oh, please, please, get in his face, get in his face, please." Dude, if, if you want to get into a fight with a member of the House, don't do it with a six foot four <laughs> li former linebacker. But you know that. I mean, Andy Harris. He's basically just. I mean, this is red meat for his constituents, and now he tries to bring a gun in, and you think, okay, Trump is gone. But his followers, I mean, they're, they're still there. I mean, it, it reminds me of, um, you know, they talk about when Jonestown, when Jim Jones died, there was this controversy. Oh, my God, there's still members of Jonestown still out there. And you just wonder, when do you let go of the water? I mean, 
I'm, that amazes me more. I mean, Patrick, I don't know if you have a hot take or if you have any thoughts on the people who still are followers of a person oh. who isn't there in power anymore. Yeah, I don't necessarily have a hot take on it. I mean, that idea of like walking away from something when it isn't working anymore is something that I can relate to on a personal level because, I mean, seeing as this is a theater uh, podcast, this is something that I did with uh, full-time acting because about ah. about four years ago, I, I, took a, I took a big step away from the Bay Area theater community because I thought it wasn't working for me anymore. But these were very personal reasons. You know, it was, it, was a, it was a financial decision and it was an artistic one. I think, you know, the, the, the question is always uh, very much a uh, uh, personal one, but then there's also uh, ethical and moral issues, which aren't really, those weren't really at, at stake for me. But I think, it's fascinating to me how folks um, still hang on to to uh, ideology. The, I think the guy, the yeah. guy after all the things that he's done. But that feels like some kind of ethical quandary that I can't. I mean, I'm just beginning to wrap my head around, and I'm not sure that I ever will really. I don't think a lot of us will. I mean, I'll never understand. I can understand being a Republican. Because, you know, that's just about fiscal responsibility and you may have some moral and even, you know, Christian, you know, issues that let's say if you're against abortion and that sort of stuff. But the radicalness, uh, that's the thing that I don't quite understand. And now there's even talks about I was reading in the newspaper about uh, how um, so, there's some congressmen who believe that maybe all of the uh, people who broke in who were in the Capitol, but who, who, who did not commit violence, maybe no charges should be placed on them. So there's, you know, uh, some folks are like, well, listen, let's not get, let's try to be as bipartisan as possible. Biden even, you know, uh, had a agreement with McConnell to delay the uh, impeachment, second impeachment hearings for two weeks. So there is a bit of olive branches being put out there. Well, but, but yeah. is that going to happen? Because isn't the rule once the House turns it over to the Senate that they have they have a deadline? They have to get it done. Yeah, but I mean, a deal can be made, and I think uh, a deal is is probably being made. But ideology. I mean, everyone has an ideology, whether it be theatrical ideology. Some people are like, "This is real theater," or you know, "That's real theater." Everyone is tied to their ideology, whether you can let go of the ideology or not. You know, that will dictate. Well, yeah, go ahead. These Q QAnon and the uh, Proud Boys are starting to disavow uh, Donald Trump a little bit, too. You know, their ideology is, sh is shattered a little bit because mm -hmm. he didn't deliver on this promise that this sort of fantasy promise that they expected him to deliver on, which was to get elected again. And then for QAnon, which is to expose all these nefarious things that are going on inside Washington in a big uh, kind of uh, theatrical moment where everyone is arrested at the same time. And then, right. you know, they're, 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 uh, pedophile cabal is exposed etc cetera, etc cetera. so some of these ideologies are are shattering as we speak yeah i think and that's why i use the analogy of jim jones and you know like the false prophet you know you believed in someone who was clearly lying to you and now you have to come to grips come to that come to jesus moment that well yeah i mean he was a you know he's it's like a cult of personality right i mean in some ways i feel like this is something that I do feel like I start to understand is this idea of the like the strong man as the protector 
um, and how that functions in all sorts of tiers of American society, whether it's the the strong man at home who doesn't uh, share his feelings and bosses everybody around or the strong sure. man at the job or the strong man who coaches the team or the str- yeah. like, like this is a place where Wayne. we still look. Yeah. It's like the John Wayne mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever, I mean, Norman, do you ever buy, did you ever, do you have individuals who buy into that? Buy into the John Wayne mentality. Like to be a man, you got to, you know, don't show your emotions. (laughs) Norty, (laughs) this is such a different conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what I like is we have a certain kind of reset that seems to be happening. Some very smart people are reminding us these are things we were struggling with, even if it's something as simple as Keystone Pipeline, um, you know, uh, adding back to the White House website, the Spanish page, Spanish language page. Um, there are lots of things that we were already struggling with. And I feel like sort of like with Reagan, where Reagan suddenly brought up the Cold War again, suddenly Russia and we were fighting with Russia where we hadn't been. I feel like um, Trump has brought us all this sort of thing, exactly this, this macho sort of mentality about what it means to be an American and a citizen. And I'm like, well, there are women that are citizens. They're, they're not macho. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean they shouldn't have rights and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I see where it's, I see where there was an appeal to that. I'm hoping that we can relatively quickly reset to Remember the things that are important, and I'm loving this new press secretary. Somebody hit her with, you know, that Biden wasn't taking care of, he talked about unity, but he's not taking care of things that are important to the Republicans. And she said, the Republicans don't care about um, dealing with hunger in America. The Republicans aren't interested in getting COVID uh, relief moving quickly. Yeah, I love that answer. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, and yeah, I mean, to put a button on it, because we want to get into an origin story with uh, Patrick. But yeah, you're right. I mean, ideologies, I mean, it's especially when it gets into politics. If you have a policy that benefits all Americans, then it's hard to go against that. I mean, you have to sort of admit that you're sort of in the tank for somebody that mm-hmm. you're in, the, that you're drinking the Kool-Aid. If you're not into something that benefits everyone, I mean, if you're into if you're against gay lesbian rights, then you know what are you really saying about yourself? I mean, who cares what Bill and Ted are doing in the bedroom? You know, it's not, it's not <laughs> Bill and Ted, they're not playing guitar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your 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 Fruit Loops are going to taste exactly the same. So you know why hate on you know that? So, but but yeah. there you go. Okay, so let's get into an origin story. Um, sure. And you're sort of a world traveler. I'm looking at your uh, so. I mean, you're also a publisher, The Front Desk Guy. That's your book yeah. that you yeah. have, and yeah. uh, people should get into that. You had a magazine, Dave's Awesome Time Machine. Uh, mm-hmm. You've done all sorts of really cool things. How did you get involved in um, – I, I, I want to still say you're involved in theater. I mean, you, I am. I am. Yeah. I, I just uh, – oh, what's your question, Rich? Well, an origin story. How did you first get involved in theater? Where were you born and raised? Well, uh, I was born in Canada, but I grew up mostly in the Bay Area. So that's how I, I, uh, we bounced around a little bit when I was a young man. We lived in Canada and in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, and then we moved to the Bay Area. And my dad had a job uh, working in Silicon Valley when personal computers were really new. So um, we were just kind of hanging out in the Bay Area from, I'd say, since I was like seven years old until I graduated high school. And 
but even then I lived in a bunch of different places. I lived in Los Altos and in Cupertino and in Marin County. Wow. Your dad, um, was your dad a part of like the home broom club? I, I always hear about the home brew club. These guys who are in uh, garages building the. No, not quite. So, <laughs> I mean, this is a total sidebar, but um, my dad worked for Olivetti. Uh, Olivetti was a really famous typewriter company. Typewriter. They were like, had the number one typewriter company in the world. And then, so the assumption was, well, you know, we're, we make the best typewriters. So obviously we're going to make the best personal computers in the world when that became a thing. Um, but they tanked. So they just couldn't, they couldn't compete. So he worked for Olivetti for a while. And then he worked for a company called Island Graphics, which is um, kind of a, an Adobe competitor that also didn't make it. You know, the story of like all the, all the Silicon Valley companies that you've never heard of are the, like, yeah. because some other company beat them out or consumed their, their mm -hmm. intellectual property, et cetera, et cetera. But he had, a, he had a really nice career. So, yeah. um, we, so most of my life I've spent in the Bay area. I started doing theater when I was, when I was, I want to say 11 was my first play. My brother was in a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. I was a, like a baseball kid. I like to play baseball and like wrestle my friends and uh, play video games and stuff. The idea of theater seemed crazy to me, but I went to see my brother in a production of Midsummer when he was 12 and I was 11 and he played a fairy and he had one line. It was like one of Peas, Peas Blossom was like split into a thousand different fairies and he said one line he said and with eglantine which is about the like something about the little uh, flower the love and idleness flower that puck finds mm. and he was in makeup and he had tights and the whole deal and i went and saw this show and i was like i want it i want some of that give me some of that <laughs> so then the next year i signed up to be in the summer theater program and i'd never stopped and I went to I went to grad school for acting in Ohio, and then I lived in, in New York Western, for about right? five. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went to uh, New York for about five years. Decided that was a little too intense for me, and then I'd say I did the lion's share of my work as a as a theater maker in the Bay Area. So I, you know, I still work here, but just just kind of piecemeal because at least for. About eight years I was, well, really, if you include New York, about 13 years I was working freelance trying to make my living as an actor. And mm -hmm. I um, I had to some success, but I just got burnt out. So I took a day job and now I still keep, I have my equity card and I still work, but I just decided I, I needed to kind of reset some things for myself. Curious, yeah. where do you, um, where'd you start when you, when you landed in the Bay Area, who'd you get to start with? Well, my very first job, and this is really, <laughs> this is a real trip because this just came around again in a, in a way that I didn't suspect. I did a, I did a kids play at Marin Theater Company. Mm -hmm. It was a, it was a, a mashup of a bunch of Aesop's fables. Oh. And it was written by Steve Yockey, who uh, is a really well-produced playwright in the Bay Area and in the country. Huh. Um, most of his plays are really intense, funny, but really dark and full of mythology and uh, oftentimes gore and uh, kind of dark, they go, they go to dark places, but he wrote a couple kids plays. And uh, just my, my wife and I started watching the, what's it called? The, 
the flight attendant on HBO, which is a new show that just came out. And oh yeah, Steve Kelly, Yo- Kelly Kuko is in that. Yeah, yeah. Think, Steve yeah. Yaki, Steve Yaki <laughs> is the creator and showrunner of that of that TV show. So wow. uh, he went from uh, writing children's th- plays for Marin Theater Company to being like a produced uh, creator for HBO. So I was really impressed. I mean, he's a really talented guy. So I wasn't surprised to see that. But uh, yeah. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. I was in kids plays you wrote. Yeah, maybe you still have that connection. I don't know Maybe you can get on the show. Who knows? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> that's sort of uh, in a that's in a such a different universe for me. But I'm just happy to see that he was he's doing well because he's a really talented guy. What was your experience at uh, Case Western? Well, they have a they have this great uh, master's program where they waive they waive your tuition. So your tuition is waived, and they give you a stipend, and you come out with a equity card, and you get a New York showcase for a bunch of agents and whatnot. So um, I had a really good time there. You know, they're connected to this to the nation's oldest regional theater, Cleveland Playhouse. Oh. Um, so I got to kind of cut my teeth at that theater um, as a young guy. And, you know, I was really green, obviously. I was there from, I would say, 24 years old to 27 years old. Um, uh, the program was still pretty new at that time. I think it was only, it had only graduated two classes up to that point. I think we were the third. Um, one of my classmates is this guy, Rich Summer, who, uh, was on Mad Men the whole time and he's still making a lot of TV right now. He's a good friend of mine. Mm. The training was really physical. It was, it was really, it was based in a lot of movement. Um, our, the head of the program was a, had experience as a corporeal mime. He, he uh, trained in Paris. So, um, and he did a lot of his theater was, was mime based, but not like pantomime but like mime as a as a I it's sort of hard to explain but it's like mime as a as a means of like subtle uh expression through gesture mm-hmm. yeah and, I, and storytelling yeah. so yeah I, I um a director friend of mine Susan Evans she's in, she incorporates a lot of um uh gesture work and a lot of uh, the things I remember a production that I did Fear and Misery in the Third Reich where we had to incorporate one particular gesture and then create the character out of that gesture yes yeah totally we had to do things like for example um this is like a really trippy exercise ron his name was ron wilson and he's he's he he died a couple years ago but he's incredible an incredible talent he um in one of our movement classes he he asked us to express an entire Shakespeare sonnet through pulses in our chest. So <laughs> this is kind of an example of how trippy it was. So we were on our knees with <laughs> our, our hands behind our back like this uh-huh. and like expressing the feelings and the emotions and the arc of the sonnet only by like chest articulation, which is uh-huh. really strange. Right. Um, but also like it, you know, the work is sort of like, how do you connect, um, how do you connect ideas to the body and how do you mm-hmm. connect emotions to the body and where's the source of your gesture? Where's the source of your movement, etc. So it was a lot of work like that. Um, I loved it. It was really trippy and I loved it. And it was one of the, it was a, it was a really exciting time in my life for sure. 
Um, what? Um, yeah, because you want to make you want you want to make sure that it's not just words that you're you're expressing, but you want to have sort of an inner life. And oh, yeah. there are many ways of getting to that direction. Um, what, how was your experience in New York? I was in New York from '87 to '91, and it sounds like you were there much later. Post. Yeah, I was 2004 to 2009. So mm -hmm. you know, I, my my experience was so much was like so many other actors. You know, I got there and I had I I did my showcase. I got an agent. She was like very much like your standard kind of mid-level low-level agent she smoked long like like really long cigarettes and had a really crusty voice and <laughs> didn't submit me for a lot of auditions like i would go for months without hearing from her and i'd be like hey what's going on and she'd be like oh yeah 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 patrick patrick like as if she forgot who oh god mm. and you're and you're paying her um, too no no you don't pay no you don't they 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 take a commission but that's right. it so um so i that was fine. And then, uh, you know, I was catering um, and I went on auditions and I did some regional theater. You know, I kind of, I would book a couple of things here and there, um, go out of town. I worked in Florida and in Vermont and in Denver and Kentucky and a few other places. Um, and then I came back and I do some off, off Broadway stuff. And, and then I got a commercial agent and I, you know, did a bunch of voiceover stuff um but that city was just too hard it was just too hard i mean i couldn't really i couldn't really make it it never really felt like it was totally working for me so five years i guess is what people say is like the typical limit so yeah yeah it was, it was five for me but uh it's it's interesting because norman and i we talk about one of the things that makes bay um bay area theater interesting is this, this community that we build where unlike new york you know, you can actually, uh, let's say, join it. I don't know, a community theater or be involved in a community theater. And let's say you may not be famous or whatever, but you at least, you know, create some sort of an environment or you can create something that, um, you know, the community itself can last, like Playground. And uh, you oh, also yeah. work with Aurora. Uh, tell me your experience with Aurora. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, I love the Aurora. I mean, well, how many plays have I done there? Five, I think, something Damn. like that. Um, no, I love the Aurora. It's one of my favorite places. That was one. I the most recent show I did was the importance of being earnest. There, um, I you know, and Josh. Who did you play? I was Algernon. Oh, nice. Um, it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I um, Josh's Josh Costello, their uh, new artistic, newish artistic director, is an old friend of mine. Um, mm -hmm. And he actually that Steve Yaki kids play that was my first gig in in the Bay Area was that, as I said, that kids play and it was directed by Josh who used to be the uh, director of education at Marin Theater Company and then um, then moved to the Aurora and now is the artistic director there. But I love, I mean, that their space is one of the best places to perform. You know, it honestly is so wonderful that deep thrust with the audience right there it's mm -hmm. just a total thrill i mean and it's challenging too because it's hard to get those people's faces out of your head while you're working because they're so close to you but i really love working there i love that i love the aurora i, I mean it's just one absolutely one of my favorites yeah i think uh don monique williams is she's probably the 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 associate artistic director uh -huh. i think yeah. But um, yeah, I remember being in the Aurora. I've never acted there, you know, at least not yet. But um, John Williams, we had John Rice Williams, who is now the artistic director of Tabard. But I saw him at the Aurora. And you're right. It's almost like a proceed. I'm not a proscenium, but it, you know, the it's a stage where the audience is all around you. 
And, yeah. yeah. And, you know, basically the action's right there. Um, how did you get involved in, I should, we should talk about how you got back into the Bay Area. I mean, because uh, you could have just stayed in New York or went to somewhere else. Well, it's a, uh... I mean, there was a kind of a confluence of a couple of things. I had a really busy year in New York and I was actually doing pretty well. You know, I got a better agent um, and I was getting better auditions. So, you know, really I was I started auditioning for like top tier regional theaters. And, and then I had a really busy year. I think I was in five plays, a couple out of town and then a couple like uh, good plays in the city. And, you know, I was booking a lot of voiceover work, et cetera. But, uh, I simultaneously, while I probably had the best acting, the best professional year of my life up to that point, um, I had like a really serious chest infection um, that lasted for about a month. And, and this is really gross, I got scabies, which are these little bugs that live under your skin. Mm. And I got, so I was like, and I was living in a crusty apartment in Long Island City. Um, and even after have a, so, so the, chest infection, scabies, all this work. I was still broke as a joke. So I, I just couldn't really, you know, I couldn't really parse it out. I was like, I'm working this hard and I'm getting my ass kicked yeah. by this city. Um, and that was happening simultaneously while my dad in the Bay Area, um, he has, uh, he has Parkinson's disease. So he, he was about to get this thing called deep brain stimulation, which is this really invasive surgery where they put electrodes in your brain to help wow. with, to help uh, adjust, um, essentially like adjust the tremors. Um, it's a, a successful surgery, but really intense. So I, I was like, okay, I just have to go home. I have to go home. I have to, I have to put a, I put a stop to this uh, crazy life and get home, get close to my mom and dad for a little while and kind of be there while all this stuff is going on. I mean, the good news is his surgery was a big success and it like made his life significantly better for a while. Well, so awesome. I, ended up, good. I ended up in the Bay Area. This was a 2009. I ended up in the Bay Area without like a really much of a game plan. I wasn't really even sure that I was gonna act again. And then, uh, you know, after kind of putting around for a couple months, I was like, well, maybe I'll just stay. And after saying, maybe I'll just stay, I started, I just, sent my resume to a couple of theaters and then I booked that job at Marin Theater Company and then it just started going it turned out that it turned out that um you know I think one of the benefits that I I came into is I was in my early 30s when I moved uh back to the Bay Area at a time when my type um you know quite honestly white men in their 30s who are written into a lot of plays mm -hmm. when my type a lot of men were gone like a lot of a lot of guys who looked like me had gone to new york or la to pursue something so i there was a little bit of a uh like a a deficit at the at the actor store mm -hmm. <laughs> so so and i was cheap because i wasn't um they didn't have to put me in a house me or anything like that so I think I just hit at a time when supply and demand matched really well. And then, you know, hopefully people recognized that I had some skill and that I was nice to work with. So, um, you know, I, and I was like, after, after being here for then about a year or so, I started to get really busy and then I met my wife and then, you know, we, you know, we, we stuck it out. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. It's fantastic. I wanted to bring, um, 
Norman, and it's been so Patrick brings up about type. I never thought about that, that, you know, there's a particular type that it becomes, I guess, the flavor of the week or the flavor of the month, like, you know, like right. with Black Lives Matter, or yeah, I guess, you know, either this year or late last year, all of a sudden, you know, the black man or even the black woman has become the flavor of the week. There's been so many August Wilson pieces done. Is that a thing? Is there like, I don't know, like a, a type or a flavor of the week when it comes to theater? Well, I, I think the question is, what is it now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There always is something. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, TV and film are on their own track with that. So you've got, what is that show, Bridgerton? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I keep on hearing about that. This black guy and this white woman and everyone's talking about the sex and I've never seen anything <laughs> yeah. about it. I don't know anything of what's going on. But it's this period piece, right? Um, but with this weird, you know, it's I don't know. Um, it's definitely flipping people out. But uh, to the positive, it is. Um, it's making people rethink what they understand about history and culture. That's all cool. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, I've always wanted to see, it's funny, as an actor, I've always hated that because unless you happen to be the flavor of the month, somebody else is getting the calls, yeah. you're not getting the calls. Yeah. But, I've, but on a more practical level, I've just always wanted to see that if Marin sees you and likes you, that they call you in. If they hear that you're doing good work over at SF Playhouse, they call you in. You know, if Berkeley Rep is paying attention to what's going on in the South Bay, they call you in. And that, unfortunately, doesn't happen. So what happens more that I see is more of a, it's like we were talking about an awards thing recently. And I just hate those because all it really is is kind of whoever is in the in the seat to make the decisions kind of says, oh, we decided we want to take care of that person. We like that person. This other person who may be more talented we don't feel like we need to do anything for them, so we're not going to worry about them. And the result is that our we are constantly watching this exodus of talent in the Bay Area. And I would just love to feel like instead, what you know, I would love it to be in a more positive way, that somebody got so much attention that they're moving to L.A., or they got so much attention they're moving to New York, um, rather than I feel like I, I read so many interviews with people who've left here and they barely reference their experiences here. They'll point to a few particular places where they felt well to... You'll see it often where they'll talk about some tiny little theater company or group where they got to play a role and they felt like they really got showcased. But the big companies, they're not talking about that. And the big companies aren't looking at us that way. And yeah. so that's when I see the flavor of the month thing, I'm always like, you know, if you see somebody like Patrick and you go, hey, that guy was interesting. I wonder what else he could do. I would love to see casting work that way, and it just doesn't. Yeah. You know, I, I have two thoughts. Number one, I, I, I don't agree with, you know, the whole flavor of, I, I think, you know, you write a play, and of course, it, you know, like I'm a budding playwright, I'm sort of just new, but I think of like, I'll do, I'll talk to someone like Patrick or, you know, someone within my life and I'll say, hey, that's an interesting character. Let me write. And I'm writing about, you know, the things that are happening in my life and I'm introducing, but I, as a writer, I want to have characters that anyone can play. So yeah. it's not necessarily a flavor of the month and any, any actor can have an opportunity to, to showcase themselves. The other thought that I had, it's so soul crushing when as if you're a budding actor, you're coming out of school, you have all this talent and you have all this energy 
and the industry, the business of acting can be so soul crushing, the rejections and, well, you're not the flavor of the month, you know, we're working on this or we're doing August Wilson, so sorry, Patrick, we're not, you know, you can step to the side or something or, you know, we're doing this. Oh no, there's always the bad white guy in August Wilson. Uh, Sure, sure, if you want to do that. (laughs) I played the good white guy in in, uh, Gem of the Ocean, so. You did a bunch of August Wilson stuff. I was looking at your thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. (laughs) The only, yeah, like the, Rutherford Selig, I think is the character's name. He appears in two August Wilson plays. I think in one right. of them, he he becomes a like his like his ten his tone changes, and I think he gets into some nasty stuff. But in the one in Gem of the Ocean, he's kind of sweet and helpful, you know. Right. So, that, yeah. Anyway, that's a side note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. But I mean, I it's it's sad that you know good actors, you know talented actors, can be like, oh, the healthy industry, I just can't. And you don't see, you know, there are plenty of folks who should be on the stage or should be in the movies, and you know, we never see them. Where, yeah, yeah. You know, ahead. my my situation was pretty good. You know, I think all in all, the Bay Area, at least in terms of getting work and staying busy. Um, it did uh, really well by me. You know, I uh, was busy, you know, I would do four or five plays a year. I did that for about seven years. Um, and I would, I'd work at Theater Works and go to Marin and then go to the Aurora and go to the Magic and maybe work at a couple smaller stages and kind of go, and then I just kind of bounced around like that for a while. But the bigger issue for me was just, um, it was just an impossible financial problem because these theaters were asking for 40, 45 hours a week of rehearsal time, but paying wages that were like, you know, just squeaking by minimum wage, even the best ones. So I got to a point where, you know, I wanted to make a dent on my student loans and save some money for retirement and like start a nest egg with my wife and it's no fault of the theaters you know they they uh just didn't have don't have the resources to pay that well but i was just um i was actually i felt like i became an actor who the bay area recognized as somebody that they wanted to keep but didn't have the means to keep me because they don't have enough money while the cost of living is skyrocketing. Yeah, and so I, and I, and that's that's a familiar trend with a lot of um a lot of the actors and it's yeah. it's it's unfortunate. Talk to me about um the your your art your your artistry, your your drawings. I mean, when did you oh, begin yeah. that? Oh yeah. So that's um, you know, so while I've been an actor, I've also been, I'm also a cartoonist and an illustrator, and that's something that's been going on my whole life. Um, Did you have training for that? Well, I went to you know I went to Humboldt State, and I went to uh, I I got a mate I got a BA in art, but <laughs> frankly, and I'm sorry Humboldt, this was twenty plus years ago. That program sucked. So, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> maybe it's gotten better, but at the time I didn't learn anything, and I got very little support. So. I wouldn't say that I got really serious training. I mean, I, I kind of dabble. I took some classes here and there, but mostly it's a family tradition. My, my grandmother um, was an illustrator for a while. Uh, she even, she worked for Disney for just a really, for a quick second. In wow. The early, um, and yeah. that must've been the early days. I mean, yeah, yeah. She- very early. Like, right. You know, she, she, it was at a time when women didn't, couldn't uh, rise it through the ranks. So she was relegated to being an inker. Oh. So she inked cells for a while. And then um, I think it only maybe only like six months. And then and then she, you know, I think 
fairly soon after she got married and and her life changed and she left disney behind right and then my dad also is a painter and a cartoonist um oh, never really? never uh, a sometime professional painter in the in the later years of his life mm -hmm. um but never really went full bore with it and then i've been cartooning and drawing since i was a kid and um now just after because of the, the i mean the the real thing is after taking a day job and putting theater on the back burner, I've allowed drawing to sort of come to the front burner a little bit because I can manage it much more easily than I can a, a theater schedule. Obviously, I can draw anytime I want and I can sketch and doodle uh, anytime I want anywhere, really. Um, I don't need permission to make anything. I can just get started with stuff. So yeah recently i wrote a book an illustrated journal and it's for sale on my website if anybody wants it it's about my day job it's very silly and mm -hmm. sweet um, yeah the front front desk guy and we'll yeah, put a we'll put a link to your uh, website yeah, so that people it's can... a it's i so what i did for an entire semester of work is i wrote a journal entry and i illustrated i added a cartoon or an illustration to the journal entry and it's just sort of about the the strangeness of being a, a middle schooler and me being a middle-aged man working with middle schoolers and just sort of how <laughs> how how bizarre it is to be in these positions in our lives where we're, we feel like we're the we're the kind of in-betweeners you know right. <laughs> like i'm neither i'm i'm sort of in this it feels like being in a sort of waiting room a little bit so i i wrote a journal entry every day for uh the entire semester of the spring 2000 semester so it's about 100 pages um i i printed it myself and i've passed some around i've got some good feedback on it um i is it is it on amazon no not yet so what i did is i just printed out a handful myself through a small company but while i've done that i've also sent a pdf to some some uh, writer friends of mine and I'm still kind of shopping it around oh, to see if maybe something might happen. I, you know, there, I have some leads and I've had some really positive feedback, so it might turn into something, but it might just be, a, if it doesn't, that's totally okay. Cause it was a great experience. Um, and then I also have a comic zine that I made about a kid who um, builds a time machine and is surprised to find out it works. Yeah, Dave's awesome um, time machine. That's yeah, cool. and that's for sale right now at um, Silver Sprocket, which is uh, a comic book store in the Mission. They also are a publishing house. So, oh, where's that? It's on uh, Valencia between twenty first and twenty second. So oh. they're they're really nice. They they um, they'll publish. They'll they'll sell local cartoonist stuff. Right. Um, as a way to like like support the local community, etc. So. They're currently um, selling two of my little comics. I mean, they're really quick reads. They're like the kid build. Spoiler alert: the kid builds a time machine, shows up in a funny place, goes on a little adventure, and then dies. Oh! <laughs> oh, the and kid dies. He, okay. And then he's re, re he just regenerates. So then he regenerates, comes out of the time machine. And he's like, "Whoa, where am I now?" So he just regenerates and regenerates and regenerates. I've only done two volumes, but I intend mm -hmm. to do. A bunch more. Well, so I'm glad he popped. I'm glad he pops back up. <laughs> yeah, he's like a video game character. You know, he get like some. Um, 
the one of them that I wrote, he appears in Renaissance Italy. He meets Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci's like, oh, David. And he's like, come, come with me. And they go on this journey through Florence. They run around through Florence. And wow. then he goes up into Leonardo da Vinci's office, his like studio. And Leonardo's like, look, I built a time machine for you, David. And then David gets distracted, tries one of Leonardo da Vinci's like one of his flying machines and Leo, right. Leo's like wait wait it's not ready and then he flies it out over Florence and then it collapses and he's in, he gets impaled on one of Florence's towers <laughs> <laughs> but of course he it's like he wakes back up in I don't know at, at in home or at, yeah at time yeah yeah got it well I have a, they and that just happens you know I have an idea for like three or four more volumes where he iterates um and then but the last volume there might be a might be a twist I don't know but uh oh nice so, so yeah, this has been taking up a lot of my time. I, oh, and then this is another fun thing. If anybody is, you know, for anybody who's listening, if you want to see, I've been involved in this, um, in this challenge on Instagram, uh, where I draw a caricature every day for the month of January. So today's is Francis McDormand. And oh. here, let's see if I can, you probably can't see. You might not be able to see it through the screen, but my Instagram is the same as my website. It's Patrick Kelly Jones. Mm. Yeah, we'll have a link to that. Yeah, show it up if you can. Uh, if you can, you can put it up to the. Uh... So look, if you, so that works. Francis, that totally works. Fargo. Francis McDormand and Fargo, and she's shooting me out of her gun. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that is just fantastic. I did have a quick question um, yeah. because you've in, you incorporated your artwork with doing set design, or at least you did it with the magic. Yeah, yeah. How, so how I did, that, go ahead. Well, well, I've just done, um, you know, I, I, one of the things that's really neat is my wife, Katie, is the drama teacher at the school where I work. And we don't have a, a full-time, we, ha we have no designers. She's a, she's a one-woman band. So I get, she's hired me to uh, do a lot of the, the set and prop stuff for her kids shows. So I've done, um, and you can see some on my website, I've done three or four for her. Uh, and then I've done a couple of the high school where I used to work. Um, so, you know, it's just like making my drawings huge and 3D. Um, which is which is yeah. a particular challenge. But I'm, I'm wondering the process. I mean, do you uh, do you blow it up or do you? Uh, I don't know if you even built the sets. Maybe someone else built a set and you draw on the set, or do you like? Well, uh, it's draw sort of a combination, you know, because you know, I think any set designer that would listen to this would be like, "What is this guy talking about? He has no idea what he's doing." And they'd be right because I have. <laughs> I mean, in every scenario, I've just thought, "Okay, I have this idea for what I want to draw." Um, oh, well, I'll tell you one that this was really fun. And I think we have, I have photos of this on my website. Um, my, my wife, Katie, directed a, a kid's production of The Hobbit, right? And the, the, the thinking with The Hobbit was that she would use this device um, where the kids are actually in a Dungeons and Dragons club and their club leader isn't there for whatever reason, he sends a message and he's like, hey, I'm sick. I have this sub coming in to lead our club. And the sub who comes in is Gandalf. And Gandalf then takes the kids in, into Hobbit land and they become the characters of the Hobbit, so on and so forth. So it's like a, a D and D Hobbit. So ah. the set was a and a D game board that they were walking around on. And then oh, behind, them, cool. yeah. behind them was a, uh, 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 like a one of Tolkien's original map drawings 
of the Lonely Mountain and smog and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And then I hung um, D and D uh, like twenty a, a couple twenty sided die sure. that I made that I drew that I made from the grid. Um, and that set was like, that was my favorite. That thing was just so fun. So, you know, it, because I've had this, the, this day job has done this really nice thing for me, which is it's given me more time to be able to collaborate with Katie as the drama teacher. So I've been able to kind of use my art background and my theater background to help these kids, like help flush out the world that they're in, flesh out the world that they've been in, which has been really neat. Now that is really, really, really cool. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, I, I guess, how has, well, you've basically said, and I guess I know how Bay Area Theater has treated you because, you know, they, you're getting work, but you're not getting paid uh, for yeah. the work. Do you think that the state of, um, are you, do you still watch theater? I mean, uh, of course, pre-COVID-19, uh, do you, I guess I'm wondering how can the Bay Area Theater change or, or is Bay Area Theater good in your... In well, they've got to get the way, you know, they've got to get their wages up. I mean, like, really, truly, like, if you want to keep actors, you've got to get the wages up. And I don't necessarily know that that's, it's not the theater's fault, right? It's because the, the state of California doesn't have enough of an endowment for the arts. And we don't have enough uh, taxpayer money going into institutions. I mean, I think what really needs to happen is uh, theater makers need to lobby Sacramento. And if we were to lobby Sacramento and do it in a way that uh, was potent and powerful, then maybe we could start funneling more money into the arts in the Bay Area. What, because I really think, like for example, ACT, right? I think what is their their um, their like scale wage is maybe eleven hundred dollars a week. That's not for Bay Area money. That's not enough. I get paid around twelve hundred is an entry level job is essentially like a low level administrator, an administrative assistant at a middle school. So ACT, which is expecting, um, and they have the highest wage of all the theaters in the Bay Area. I mean, Marin right. Theater Company pays like 650 and they ask you to work 50, 45 hours a week. And then they ask you to do nine shows a week. I just don't, in my mind, I'm like, how in the world can that be even like reasonably okay? I think all these theaters that, want to call you for 30 or 40 hours a week to rehearse or more their wages need to go way up and i just don't think that the resources are here unless the city it's the county the city the state starts to rethink how they collect uh dollars for the arts in the state of california because the the Silicon Valley is not giving money to these theaters either. So they need, and if you want to keep actors and ask them to be professionals and work at a professional uh, scale, then- right. And make that time commitment, yeah. Those wages have got to go way up. Like everybody's got to be paying a thousand dollars a week, you know, like, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I know people would be like, what a thousand dollars a week? I'm like, the like median wage for entry-level positions, salaried positions in the Bay Area is 40, 50, 60,000 dollars and up. And then right. in tech, it's even more than that. You know, it's a hundred thousand right. dollars a year or more for an entry-level job. So these things they don't they don't match and it's gonna it's gonna blight the the professional community in the Bay Area if something pretty significant doesn't happen because no one can afford it unless you can have a 
unless you have some kind of special dispensation where you inherited a house or your right. partner, your partner, right, your partner's a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Your partner's bankrolling you like for the rest of us who are, who want to engage in this thing full time. And when the theaters are asking you to engage in it full time, you need, there needs to be some kind of re restructuring. Otherwise it's going to turn into, and look, simultaneously, I got nothing, there's nothing wrong with doing amateur stuff or doing things for just a stipend. I work as a cartoonist for essentially for free and I'm okay with it. But if, if, if theaters want to consider us professionals and treat and ask of us professional uh, time management, then they have to step up and start paying us more. And that there's no, I have, I, I that's just seems as clear as day to me. Yeah, I imagine you feel the same way, Norman. I mean, you're also an equity actor. And of course, you've had to supplement yourself by doing a bunch of other jobs. Like, you know, you do the modeling gig and you do the teaching and you do directing. Yeah, um, I, it's definitely we have to ask ourselves what we what really what kind of culture we want, because if you want those people yeah. who are at that level, yeah, you got You've got to support it. Otherwise, you got to identify this in another way. And I. I I always struggle with that, you know, professional, non-professional, but bottom line, if you're not making enough money to live, then I don't, you can call yourself professional, but <laughs> you're doing something else in order to pay your bills. So, I, you know, it's, it's a weird identity. I don't know. And it's one of those places where rather than feeling like everything needs to change that way, it becomes an asset to your community if your community makes that commitment. Yeah. You know, like Chicago Theater is known for having a strong sense of community. People go to see each other's shows. That's part of what it is to be in that community. So if we had a community where we knew there were theaters and our community supported the theaters, so there was some more money there for people, it'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it also, it often, I guess it makes me wonder how much do we as a community value theater? I mean, obviously theater companies, someone comes together and says, hey, let's do a theater company and they don't have that much money. They have this dream. Well, people will come and somehow the revenue will just magically come and then we can put more money into it. And a lot of times it just doesn't happen or, you know, you know, as you were saying, Patrick, you know, Sacramento or let's say, you know, Washington they don't fund the arts. You know, usually when it comes to cutting funds, arts is the first thing that's cut. The first, yeah. yeah. And um, then, you know, companies have to, you know, just ground around and get grants and stuff like that. I had thought that the corporate world, especially here in the Bay Area where you have so many um, Silicon Valley and a lot of these tech companies would take their extra money and, and, and fund, but it hasn't really happened that way. As a matter of fact, they're leaving. Well, COVID, yeah. it's been neat for COVID that they have thrown some money to the art community. Some. Yeah, yeah. But, but not enough. And we've hit the one hour mark, but I want to give you one last button, uh, Patrick. Where do you see yourself in, uh, I don't know, five or 10 or some odd years? I didn't even ask. Are you and um, you and your wife, do you have any kids? Um, no, no, we, we're eager to have kids, but we haven't uh, we haven't struck gold yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet, not yet. <laughs> but, but we're uh, trying. There are yeah. ways you can make that happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but where where do you see, or where the two of you see of yourself? I mean, do you see yourself leaving the Bay Area? Are you have you found a community here? Um, you may have to stay there to take care of your parents. Uh, you're, yeah, you mentioned your dad. 
go ahead yeah that's a it's a it's a that's a real hot button issue for us reg we don't know i mean we um we love it here we get a lot out of being in the bay area but you know for example we have a two-bedroom apartment we don't have a washer and dryer we don't have a dishwasher um we'd love to have a yard you know like we'd love to be able to like we'd love to have a mortgage that we could afford with our artsy fartsy lives you know so it um we think about other places a lot and we occasionally like dig into it but simultaneously we're not really in a position to move especially right now and i am a fourth generation californian you know i um am bonded to this state and it helped me make myself who i am i mean i i think i come from a long line of artistic outdoorsy uh intellectual piratey fun loving sensitive tender tough people um and i think if we were to leave california i would be a little bit gutted but i also am trying to be pragmatic about all these things you know i want to be uh i want to put i would both my wife and i want to put our hopeful future family in a position where we can thrive so currently the bay area is a pretty challenging place accord like to thrive according to the standards that we have for our lives so we don't know right now with covid and with our jobs we're just going year to year or even like month to month with our decision making um and then we're gonna see what happens next i mean our intention is to sign our contracts at our at our at our current job and go into another year but we're also while that's happening we're looking around i mean i figure our story is the same as like hundreds of thousands of people in the bay area right now who live like we do who are like trying to make something happen for themselves you know yeah i i sort of yeah you're absolutely right there's so many i mean there are lots of uh, theater friends of mine um who have left um there's a uh, philippine friend of mine and she and her family left to go to i think seattle washington mm -hmm. and her daughter uh basically says mommy are we are we um gypsies because they kept on moving around and it was a, a tender thing for a child to say but also very sad yeah and as a matter of fact one thing i um off mic norman and i we were talking about that i have to um my lease is up for my apartment and luckily i did secure another apartment only did? Yay. I, I did right. yay. but only because he uh the landlord or i guess the guy who owns the um the condo he's a tech guy and he's like i can't afford to stay here anymore i got to, i gotta leave so huh. it's, it's happening all over the place. And yeah. I, keep, I keep on seeing companies in like the city of Tulsa, Oklahoma, they're, they're marketing people in California. Hey, leave California. We'll give you, I think, $10,000 and you can stay and live here. And, you know, we'll give you all sorts of incentives or whatever. And it sounds enticing, but you're absolutely right. I love California. I am originally from Washington, D.C. But when I first came out here in 1996, saw the hills and saw just the wonderful culture and the fact that i don't have to shovel snow anymore uh, i was like wow I, this is this is just fantastic and the and the bay area theater so you kind of hope yeah. that the culture stays and you kind of hope that you can still afford to stay here i mean i'll be retired and hopefully my pension will allow me to stay yeah but everyone has that everyone has that question yeah and yeah. i'm Does sure you staying in oakland Fred? yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean especially the jack yeah 
No, oh, I, it's, in, it's in the same building. Oh, sweet. Oh, good. Same, good. same building. So that that's awesome. Ben, Norman, I, you know, you, you and I've talked about it. You're lucky that you have Mara and you guys own property. So. Right. No, I know. Whenever that comes up, I'm like, you know, my wife owns this house. So, and that was a big deal when that happened. And I, I still, I'm starting to feel a little more secure about it. But part of me is like, you know, I... We'll see what happens. I, yeah. I, more than anything, I'm just trying to find ways to feel like I'm happy. As long as I'm yeah. happy here, then I'll stay here. Yeah. yeah. That's a good yeah. way to think of it. That's exactly right. All righty. Well, we've hit the one-hour mark. Uh, Norman, uh, shout-outs, birthdays? Birthdays. Uh, Ella. Ella is somebody I know. Uh, she's a daughter of Wendy Belden and John Zivon, I think, is the way to pronounce his last name. I, I mess it up. Anyway, um, I've known her since she was three, and then she got, as she got into high school, she got involved in theater, and now she's been out in the world. She still does some, but like everybody else, she's got to hustle and get a job. But anyway, her birthday's coming up. I don't have anybody for today, um, and I'm going to skip some that I think you'll cover, so I'll throw them back in if you don't. Um, Maurice Jamal is somebody I went to San Francisco State with, a uh, director, writer, wonderful actor, but I think he likes being on the other side of things. Um, Michael Kelly is, um, it's so funny, a wonderful Asian American actor who I tried to get for something maybe a couple of years ago. And he was like, I, I don't even live in the Bay Area anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, okay. I think he'd moved to LA. Um, it's another name I'm skipping. Uh, William Thomas Hudson is an actor I have barely, uh, interacted with. Um, he was involved with Ubuntu, who is... They are now Oakland uh, Theater Project. Um, and then he went up to Ashland, and I think he got one season in before COVID hit. Um, Sean Lim, um, I met as the artistic director of the Asian American Theater Company, and I'm not sure where he is or what he's doing now, but um, a wonderful, just a powerhouse of energy in terms of getting community and making theater happen. Um, somebody else I went to high school with, Annette Frazier-Wheat. Um, she was big in the musicals in high school, big singer, and it was weird, uh, to see her putting up stuff on Facebook. She's a grandma now. And I'm like, God, we have gotten old, like a grandma <laughs> of, you know, of grown, she's got grown kids and now her grandchildren are coming up and they're like, we're seriously old. We got old somewhere <laughs> along the line. Uh, Victoria Evans Irville. We haven't had her on the show. Have we? Nope. Not yet. No. Uh, she's now a playwright with, she, like you, is somebody who later in life came to playwriting, and she's got fantastic pieces. In fact, if you just saw the latest Playground, uh, she, her piece was the Obama piece, the two women in Texas who've grown up together, one black and one white, and how did they feel about the Obama election? That was uh, her latest piece. And then, again, somebody else who I barely had any direct interaction with, Laylee Lippard, um, was working at um, the magic I think when I first got to know her and now I believe is on the east coast or close in DC um, those are my birthdays for the week and mine um, Elizabeth Stebbins I believe I acted with her in 110 in the shade her birthday is today we did 110 in the shade at the Douglas Morrison Theater uh, also today Eliza or Eliza uh, Bovin she is an actress and a model, and uh, I acted with her. She was in actually another one act, but we were involved in um, Musical Cafe, and she is a oh, fantastic yeah. talent. Um, also, 
I know you saved me some. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Catherine Heck, she's a older actor. We also acted, we shared the stage at, we did 110 in the Shade. Her birthday's tomorrow. Monday, I'm surprised you didn't mention him or maybe you saved him for me. Danny Boy Hall, you brought him on. Yeah. He, <laughs> he is a, uh, he was a, I think he did lights for you guys or he did tech for you guys when you uh, does did the Shakespeare outside. Yeah, he was a light, he was our lighting guy and, and a younger guy who just is already working, like that's his full-time gig, but it, that means he works everywhere doing all kinds of things. Theater is almost off to the side for him. Yeah, yeah. So his birthday is on Monday. On Tuesday, my brother Andre is, uh, is he'll celebrate his birthday. Fantastic right. uh, keyboardist. I got to uh, just display some of his songs, but he, he is just amazing. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday, uh, Corinne's husband, John Ritchie, I know you were saving that. He is the co-owner of Plethos. His birthday is on Wednesday. And once again, a reminder, so on the month of February, the EA will be dedicating all of our episodes for couples who met in theater. And we should probably bring you, uh, you on, Patrick, because I'm sure, you, did you meet your wife in theater? Yeah, yeah, well, she's in, she, I, our first date, I went and saw her in a play at Bay Area Children's Theater. <laughs> so, oh! yeah. <laughs> she, she must have gave an amazing performance. She did, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's fantastic. So, yeah, so we'll be having, we have four couples uh, each Saturday, each February, we'll be telling about life and love in theater. All so, right. in any case, um, on Thursday, Jim Letchworth. Um, I don't think I've ever acted. I don't think I've ever met him, but I keep on seeing him on these boards uh, on, on Facebook. But I'm sure he's he's active in theater and his birthday is on Thursday. Uh, on Friday, I'm sure you saved that for me. Terrence Smith, his birthday. Yep. He is a gifted young black actor uh, and he's really been working it. He, uh, I've acted with him. We did um, uh, Civil War Christmas. And he's done, he did All the Way with Kim Donovan. Uh, that was at the CCCT. And he's done a bunch of other things. Right. We did, uh, uh, was it Jim of the Ocean or was it the other Th one? That's we right. It was Jim of the Ocean. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Zoom thing. Yeah. He was, I yeah, forgot about the, that. Yeah. No. Um, are, are you done? Because uh, David Diggs, you know, is somebody that we need to, to acknowledge. His birthday is this week. Yep, I did not have him, but one other person is Alex Murphy, and he and I acted together. We did Grey Gardens, and he played uh, Joe Kennedy, Joe Kennedy Jr. Uh, so that's that's it. Those are the birthdays I have. Um, Patrick, any, any uh, shout-outs you have? Any birthdays or shows you know coming up? Um, no, I don't. <laughs> All is quiet over here. I don't really have any anything to shout-out. Okay. Uh, how about uh, you doing anything playground-wise? Um, no, Norman, I... Or I have a, I'm doing a, a workshop of a play uh, tomorrow, um, which is just a private thing for some playwrights. Um, okay. It's a playwright named Lisa Mammel. I know her through this playwriting workshop run by a fellow named Will Dunn, who's been doing this oh, for wow, about, yeah. he's been working for about, I don't know, in the Bay Area, Bay Area for 20 years. He's a Chicago playwright. And mm -hmm. he has this kind of a small group of playwrights that he works with. She's one of them. So I'm going to workshop a new play of hers. And then this is, I, I shouldn't even say this because this is one of those situations where I haven't necessarily booked the thing, but I'm so like, my, my fingers are like double crossed. I got a, an email in the middle of the week to ask if I could put my schedule on hold for a new uh, Taylor Mac play oh. uh, through the magic mm -hmm. um, that they want to workshop. And that would be this Friday. So I'm like 
waiting to get an email um, on Monday or Tuesday to say that because I'm still in the mix for it. Right. And I, Taylor Mac is a huge, uh, like, uh, he's a huge, they are a huge role model for me in terms of theater making. So it would be a great opportunity to be in the room with them. Yeah, let us know, because uh, although, you know, this, you know, we're doing this podcast, you know, folk, showcasing you, we always yeah. want to know what are, you know, are the past folks that we've had on the air, what, the, what they're doing. And so if you do get cast, let us know, we'll pump it, we'll yeah. pump it for you. Yeah. But uh, yeah. what about you, Norman? Are you doing anything uh, regarding Playground? Uh, well, no, we just finished Monday. And, you know, those things, the way it works is the playwrights get their prompt. Uh, there's a selection of whatever the six plays are going to be. And then they start hunting around for actors and directors. So actors and directors are always the last part of that equation. Mm. So oh, I, you know, I just did this month. And generally what seems to happen is I end up doing every other month, which bums me out. Like I, if I got to pick my months, I liked October. I would love to have done December and I didn't get December. I was like, come on. I think I did November. I think I did October, November, and then I didn't get December. And then I got in January and, you know, it's Black History Month. So I'm hoping I get something in February. We'll see. <laughs> yep. All righty. Well, that'll wrap things up. And uh, I didn't, if I hadn't said it before, you know, uh, I know you were in my little play, Woodhull and the Jailer. And yeah, yeah. for the little work that you did, you did a magnificent uh, piece of work. And I was like, I've got to grab you. So yeah, thank thanks. you so much. Did you oh, enjoy yeah. the uh, podcast? Oh, yeah. This has been a lot of fun. It's been really nice to chat with you guys. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, here's my little blurb. Uh, you're, of course, watching this on YouTube. Thank you so much for watching. And so, uh, hopefully you've subscribed to our channel. If you haven't, please do. Or uh, if you have any issues with the uh, channel, if you think there are ways that we can improve, let us know. And uh, if you're listening to us traditionally on the podcast app, we're on all podcast apps, even Spotify. And uh, you can find us on that little purple podcast app on your iPhone or iPad. If you're an Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on uh, Facebook. I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. Um, Patrick, do you have uh, any um, social... Um, media stuff are you on twitter his, uh, website yeah i've got if you want to find my if you want to see some of my cartooning i'm actually going to draw david diggs tomorrow because it's his birthday for this caricature thing nice. i'm on uh it's at it's my full name at patrick kelly jones that's my instagram and then my website is the same it's patrickkellyjones.com you can find my book on there you can find a link to my zine and where to buy it and you can see other like theater happenings and other drawings of mine and look at some theater shots, some photos, et cetera. So that's where you can find me. Right on. And we'll have the link to all of that. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend. And as Norman and I always say, we gotta find a better sign off. And we are out. <laughs>